Mike Malone, many would say the business journalist, not just for the broad section of society, but really for Silicon Valley, covered it for many years. The Autonomous Revolution, his new book coming out February 18th, 2020, talks about a lot of things. Is blockchain the answer uh, moving forward for things that need to be privatized? Secondly, should corporate taxes come down? How do we tax individual people? Should people be unemployed, actually, if they don't lead to increased productivity in their job roles? And if so, what does the economic model look like if productivity gains can to increase, but unemployment and, and more people are unemployed. Is UBI the answer? Hello, everyone. My guest today is Mike Malone. He was the world's first daily high-tech reporter, and he remains one of Silicon Valley's best-known journalists. He's the author and co-author of nearly 30 books, including The Virtual Corporation with William David Al. Now working on a new book. We're going to jump into that today. Mike, you ready to take us to the top? Let's go. All right. Let's not bury the lead here. What's the title of the book, and, and what do you believe in this book that you think is going to cause a lot of controversy? Okay, it's called The Autonomous Revolution. And the core theme of it is what we think is going on right now is not an evolutionary change. The sense that everything's not quite working quite right suggests something much, much bigger that we haven't seen very often in human history. And that is a fundamental phase shift in society and culture driven by technology. And the implications of that are enormous including for all of your uh, startup CEOs out there. Well, so let me dive into this a bit, right? So so you have significantly more wisdom than the majority of us, right? Financial management uh, recognized your your uh, uh, your book on Bill and Dave as one of the best biographies ever for business. Uh, so you've seen a lot of trends. So here's a question I have for you. I just want to jump right into it. You know, Trump and a lot of politicians, whether it's Republican or Democratic, will brag about unemployment being very low. Cool. However... When you look at how Ray Dalio talks about the importance and the economic machine as his famous YouTube video, he talks about three levers, short-term debt cycles, long-term debt cycles, and productivity increases. We're yeah. now in a world where productivity increases does not necessarily mean better jobs or more people employed. Is that a problem? It not only doesn't mean that, it also doesn't mean greater wealth. Productivity was always tied with economic strength. But now we're having non-monetizable productivity. And it began really with the microprocessor. It got cheaper and cheaper and more and more powerful. So on the balance books, it wasn't producing that much wealth. But in reality, it was changing everything. Now we're seeing a lot of new technologies emerging that are changing productivity, but it's not going to show up on the balance sheets. And that's changing all the rules. In fact, that's the whole theme of the book. Is that when we have, we're having a phase change right now, and there's only been two other ones in human history. A phase change is when everything shifts, when all the rules change, and you can't predict any of the new rules. And we get that we get the phrase phase change from physics. So you know, if you have water and it turns to ice, okay, that's a phase change. It's still water molecules, but something fundamental has happened. If you lived on the equator your whole life and you never saw weather below 32 degrees, and then suddenly everything froze, you would not be able to predict what was going to happen. You wouldn't know what ice would look like, how it would behave. You would have no tools for measuring it, no rules for dealing with it. Hydraulics would do nothing for you. You couldn't run ice through a pipe. Everything changes. And we've had this happen twice. Once was when we left being hunter-gatherers in the agricultural revolution, and then... 10,000 years later, the Industrial Revolution. Now, all the prognosticators, all the thinkers out there are saying, well, we're going into the 
third or the fourth industrial revolution. What Bill and I are arguing is this is not an evolutionary step. We are losing the industrial revolution and we're moving into a new world in which we're turning over a lot of our power activity and our autonomy to machines. They're going to be doing a lot of thinking for us. And everything that we know is going to disappear. Just like if you were a, a sheep herder in the Levant in 4000 BC and you came upon the town of Jericho, you wouldn't know what the hell that was. You wouldn't know how to live there. There's a story about Genghis Khan when the hordes raced into China. They charged down the, the main street of Beijing and they didn't take anything. There was gold. There was all this stuff. They didn't see any of that as valuable. They were basically just raping the women and stealing the food because they didn't understand that kind of wealth. That's what's going to happen again very soon. It's happening already. So, Mike, the, one of the reasons I accepted when your folks reached out is one of my most successful interviews with authors with Jeffrey Moore. And a lot of SaaS founders read Crossing the Chasm. And he put a great yeah. quote on the cover of your book. So you're touching now on this concept of non-monetizable productivity. So my, my question to you is simple. If we have to optimize for two things, people being employed, right, right. with good wages or productivity gains, and they now no longer are moving together, which one do we optimize for? I think productivity gains. I'm not sure. I mean, that's a very tough question. Yes, ask Jeffrey the next time you talk to him. Uh, the problem is we're handing over more and more of our activity, employment and everything else, to these devices, to these machines, to the Internet of Things. In the process, we're going to become a lot wealthier. Uh, we're going to become healthier. We're going to live longer. We're going to have all of these things, but we not we may not be as wealthy. Disposable income may drop, and that's because most of us are probably going to be unemployed. You know, we're, we're kind of in this little interregnum right here where the economy is looking good and people are getting jobs. But if you look in the long term, we used to think, oh, well, robots are no problem. We're just because it's going to take over ditch diggers and welding quarter panels on F-150s. But now all of a sudden you saw last week Google announces, hey, our AI looking for breast cancer does a better job than radiologists. So now all of a sudden, the idea of just low-level manual jobs disappearing, well, they're already going away now. Blue-collar jobs going away. But now we all thought we were safe in our nice white-collar jobs. We're thinking people. So robots aren't going to replace us. But in my professor, profession, journalism, a lot of those newspaper stories you read every day are being done by AI, not by human beings. People get smarter one IQ point a century. Our machines are getting smarter an IQ point a year. So They're Mike, what, what's, what, in your opinion then, what is the solution? So here's like where this is causing, I think, so much anger and, and you know, quite frankly, death, war, right? Is you have a population that's becoming more unhappy because their purchasing power is decreasing and they feel more poor, uh, oh, or right? Wait. We've got zero, we, we have what are called Zevs coming. And those are zero economic value citizens, which are people that even if you had a job opening, you would never hire them because technology will do the job instead. And this is going to represent a sizable fraction of our population. So, Mike, what do you do with people, those people? That's a really good question. And here we are once again with the idea of a phase change. We don't really understand what the new rules are. We have very 
established sets of rules about how to do stuff. You talk to these CEOs and what do you ask? You ask them about the balance sheet. By the way, you do a brilliant job. I can't believe these CEOs are telling you that stuff. You know, it's a big, it's a big show. You've done your research. I appreciate that. Part of it is you, you're a really good reporter, but 30 years ago, I was a really good reporter. And if I asked those questions to a private company, they would have had the guard throw me in the parking lot because they didn't have to tell you. But there's a perceptual change too. These CEOs don't feel the need to hide what is legally private data anymore. And one of the reasons is our entire system of financial reporting has changed. In, in, in terms of looking at it, it looks the same, but our attitudes towards it have fundamentally shifted. And that's already a phase change beginning. Our notion of currency, of national sovereignty are all changing. Uh, so Mike, Andrew Yang proposes UBI. Do yeah. you have these companies that are increasing productivity like Amazon take a portion of their proceeds and pay citizens in the middle of Kentucky $1,000 a month? Well, it's an interesting question. There's some real good arguments for it. If you're a Zev, you're never going to be employed, even if you went to college. So are you sitting in your little one-room studio apartment with a wall-sized TV and you're getting that transmission free because you look at the ads and you're never going to go to Petra, but you're going to be able to fly a drone over Petra and put it on your wall-sized screen. You're not going to go out to dinner very often, but you know you have a fairly rich life. It's just that you're poor. Yep. Now, does, does the government or the corporations give you money to live on? We don't know the answer to that because there's some deep moral questions too. How important is a good job to how we see ourselves? How important is work to the quality of our lives? If we just pay people to sit around because they can't be employed, should we have them be doing something? Should they be donating time and their time at a park to teach kids? Should they be raking leaves? Should they be, what do we do? What's, what's this calculus that we need between fulfilling work and this increasingly life. So Mike, you're a great reporter because you know the perfect questions to ask. And I'm asking you for the solutions. And what I'm hearing is, well, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I think we got to try them. Okay. Try them. We got to try them to see if it works. What else would you try besides UBI? Oh, I would, well, this is going to make you crazy. That's okay. Okay. First of all, we got all of our financial models are essentially dealing with the industrial world. In this post-industrial autonomous world, we need to measure other values, you know, intangible assets. There was an attempt to do that, uh, to look at intellectual capital and other factors. We've got to institutionalize that. I think it's already being incorporated in the stock pricing and everything else, but it's not on the balance sheet. We've got to rethink what actually counts now. You know, uh, the second thing is, We've got to figure out a way. Free speech has never actually really been free. Mike, hold on. Sorry. Do you know, do you have an idea of what we should be counting now if it's not money and traditional balance sheets? Well, there's obviously there's things like contributions to society. There's how many patents does a company produce? Uh, the educational level of the employees, the durability of the employees, if the employee's been there for 30 years or for three hours. Uh I think we have to restructure the way the companies are organized. You know, uh, I wrote a book called about the uh, Protium Corporation, which was you have a solid center with a massive uh, a cloud of freelancers of various degrees. 
well, California just outlawed that. So California is actually moving back in time against that. Now you have the Exponential Organization, which was Salim Ishmael's book that I, I, I he gave me a co-authorship, but he was the genius behind it. But the idea of companies going at 10 times the normal rate that we're used to, and they have to literally turn themselves fully virtual and incorporate customers, everything else into the creation of the company. We don't have any measurement system for that. Now, on, t- so on top of that, I think we've got to figure out a way to f- keep free speech, but also keep it from going off the rails. In a world of deep fake and fake news and runaway memes and everything else, it used to be you could you had free speech because you could stand on a soapbox and yell anything you wanted. Now you go on the web and you spout your gibberish to a billion people. So Mike, everyone understands this problem. It's in the news every day. What's your, what do you think the solution is? You have to cut, you have to put some money onto the, you have have to monetize the web, the use of the web. I mean, I know that's anathema. I'm the ultimate free speech guy. You know, I almost got thrown out of college for things I wrote. So just to be clear, you would tax web usage. Yes. I'm to the point that, after a certain amount of posting, after a certain, if, if a, something you do reaches out to a certain number of people, there's some sort of charge attached. Why do, do you, where, why do you tax the consumer instead of the companies that are perpetrating this nasty behavior? Facebook makes money on ads. People put up nasty oh, no. headlines to get clicks. Oh no. I think you go after those guys. They've gotten a free ride. They've gotten, they're getting laws in support of their behavior. Mm-hmm. And ultimately freeware has been a devastating thing. It, it did a wonderful job of building the web. I love freeware, but the cost of it, social cost, is enormous. And we need to figure out some sort of balance between being able to operate and scale freely and to speak freely, but at the same time, there has to be some sort of constraint. And if we try to do it by law, well, we've seen the result. How do you censor Twitter? How do you censor Facebook? What do you decide? You know, it's that the Rowan Juvenile asked the question, who will guard the guardians? Well, we hire a bunch of 25-year-olds to be censors at Twitter. Well, they come in with their own set of biases. Yep. They don't even know they're biased. So therefore, they're seeing through a screen that they don't, they don't know is there. So yeah, they'll censor some things, but they'll miss others. There has to be another mechanism. Yeah, I mean, the, the the flip side to your current argument, too, you're talking B2C platforms in the media world. But to give some examples of where freeware has really added a lot of productivity, a lot of freedom, a lot of good things, you know, automatic WordPress, right? Matt Mullenweg, that was built on top of, a you know, open source code, GitLab, SID, open source code, right? So this open source free model is not brand new. It's just it's now being used in a really negative way in the media world because of how advertising works and click through rates. Right, because... In the business world, there's money on the table all the way around, even in freeware. Down in the consumer world, you're basically being set up. You get to use all this cool stuff for free. Oh, by the way, we're going to take everything about you we can find out. You're giving up your liberty. Don't people know that, though? I mean, I know that. We all, we all sort of know it. I mean, in the back of our minds, we go, well, yeah, they're probably following But what's me. the argument? Because, see, I would still give access to Facebook because it allows me to talk to my mom as she's going through cancer treatment. Yes. 
But Facebook should be asking you what you're willing to give up and what you're not willing to give up. But see, I think even if I knew I was giving up everything, I still would because of how viable the free software is. And I think a lot of I think the argument that people should the company should ask for this from consumers is a null one because I think a lot of consumers would still give up a lot to use these free tools. Oh, yes, they'll give up a lot. But you don't have this. You don't have gray hair yet. Wait till your medical records. And your financial records are become readily available to everybody out there. But they are. China and Russia probably have them. They probably do. And that's a terrible thing. Yeah. Somehow we have to give the consumer back control of their information somewhat. Mm -hmm. There has to be some sort of brokering going on. Mike, is blockchain the answer? Is pardon me? Blockchain the answer. Well, now that we just found out $500 million has been stolen from it, I'm not sure it's as secure as we thought. But is it the answer? I think it's inevitable. I'm I'm a great believer in in technological inevitability. My whole career as a writer has been built on the idea that you see a technology emerging. It's going to emerge, and it's going to be accepted, and it's going to change the world. And you're going to have to deal with it. So don't say, oh, we got to stop this or whatever. It's going to happen. Okay, so 10 years from now, what do you think blockchain is being used for? Everything. Okay, how does the U.S. government or any government charge taxes on transactions they can't track and they don't own? Well, there's a very good question again. I'm being a reporter again. It's a very good question because, well, they're going to do what they did to the companies around here. I mean, it never got reported, but I watched. I watched people from the government show up here and talk to and them. you're in Sunnyvale, California, right now. I'm in Sunnyvale. I, you know, I, I watched uh, the Secretary of uh, Homeland Security show up at a coffee shop in Los Altos and talk to the two founders of Google quietly. There's trap doors that have been built all over Silicon Valley that we know nothing about. For all I know, at the device level on microprocessors, there's probably some back doors that the United States government can get in and get that information. And we're going to build it into blockchain. I don't know how with all those, all that security and everything else, but they're going to demand it because if you don't control that information or have access to that information, you lose your national sovereignty. And if anything, we're becoming more nationalized right now and, and less global. So the government's going to do it. They have to. Well, that's what I'm saying. It- Governments in general around the world, I think, are being are, are less in favor than they were a long time ago, I would argue, because of taxes and because of leaders and because of all kind of polarization effects. Is it, wouldn't it be maybe a good thing if there were no governments? If there were no governments? Well, I think we're kind of heading that way. Uh, you know, the Vox Populi, uh, it's going to have to re. Like I said, we don't know what the rules of this new world that's emerging are going to look like. But I think it's going to be a struggle between governments and people. I really do. And uh, uh, the problem with the government side is they're not up to date on the technology. All I do is watch, you know, Zuckerberg in front of the congressional subcommittee. Those old men know nothing. You know, they're asking idiotic questions. He's skating away. Um, So government does everything wrong and government does everything by brute force. And and they always do it. They don't do local. They just do big. So that's the problem with government. The problem with putting it out in terms of pure democracy is the fear the founders have, which is you get factions and you get tribalism. 
And you notice there's increasing amount of tribalism going on in the world right now. We thought we were all going to do, you know, in, in 2000, we thought the web was going to put us into a great global kumbaya where everybody was a citizen of the world and we're all going to be best buddies and, and hang out together. It hasn't happened. If anything, it's brought out certain globalistic trends, but it's also brought out old atavistic behavior, which is, you know, our tribe, our blood, all of those things are reemerging. And so if we put it, if we take away governments and just leave it in the hands of the people, we could be unleashing the furies. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, super interesting. Uh, last question here before we wrap up. Um, you run and win the presidency in 2036. Uh, what are you changing about about tax laws for corporations? Oh, I, I, been, I, I think I wrote my first editorial for the Wall Street Journal 30 years ago about capital gains. It might, by the way, it might be why I'm asking this question. Uh, every time we drop capital gains rate. The economy gets better. Companies go. We have more entrepreneurship, you know, more companies going public. Whenever we decide, oh, we got to screw the corporations and we raise capital gains, we kill the economy. Uh, so first thing I would do is lower the capital gains. So rate. Trump took it from, thir- well, essentially 35 to 20. You're talking 35 to 21 corporate inversion stuff, money coming back into the States. Yeah. I also, I also, in a world that's become increasingly volatile, Estate taxes, inheritance taxes strike me as weird, too. You work your entire life, you know, to create a legacy for your family. And then the government comes in and snatches it up after you die, after taxing you your whole life. So, Mike, just to be clear, you would drop you would drop corporate tax rates, cap gains down below 21 percent, and you would get rid of things like the estate tax. Elizabeth Warren might say, but we need to pay and make sure we have Medicare for all. And now we have less tax revenue to do that. I don't like government brute force solutions. And Medicare for all is one of those things. It's going to be abused all over the place. I'm a free market capitalist. I'm, I'm a, I live in the world of I really got it in my milk in the cafeteria in elementary school. I mean, Steve Jobs is the next table over. Okay. Steve Woz wrote, Wozniak wrote by my house every day. I've known everybody all the way back to David Packard and Bill Hewlett in this town. I'm a great believer in entrepreneurship. And I actually think this is a terrible time for entrepreneurs right now, especially in the Valley, because it's it's safer now because of the cost of living and everything else to bury yourself in a large corporation. One last and question. Those, Sorry, I lied. I want to get one more thing out of you before we wrap up. You're not uh, going to ask me your five? No, I will. I will definitely ask you those, but I'm really enjoying this conversation. Okay. Um, um you believe in capitalism. I also believe in capitalism. Many would argue that Amazon runs delivery more effectively. And oh, by the way, they also have revenue. They're not just losing money on the taxpayer's dollar than the USPS. Uh, does Donald Trump run an auction to privatize airports, USPS, things right now that the government is essentially running? Um, no, no. I, I do think that antitrust is a valuable thing, but you know, monopolies are always really efficient for a certain amount of time. And Amazon's doing a brilliant job of doing that. But at some point, they turn themselves into cash cows. And at that point, they become predatory on the economy. So, Okay, maybe someone different than Amazon. My point is, though, is the government the right person to run the company that is the monopolistic hedge against Amazon? No, government's no good for running anything. So who would you sell the USPS to, right, if, if it's not Amazon and, it's not, and it shouldn't stay with the government? Uh. Let's sell, sell it to shareholders. Let's see what happens. Put it out there in the world. Put it on the, on the exchange. 
there is a residual value of the post office. You know, we also get our mail every day, and now they're delivering Amazon better than FedEx is right now. Um, open it up. Interesting. I, I, I believe entrepreneurship is the key to the United States remaining a competitive society in an economy in the future. Entrepreneurs have no, they have no real voice. All the guys you're talking to, they're working 80 hours a week in their little startups. More than that. More than that. More than that. They don't, I've been in startups. They don't have time to be, or money to be hiring lobbyists in Washington. The established companies hold the political power. Somebody has to speak for the entrepreneur because they provide all the new jobs. They provide all the great new ideas and they produce most of the real wealth. Mike, you have me ready to run through a wall, man. You're, you're, you're my new motivator. I'm playing this clip on repeat every night before I, when I wake up, okay? So what we're doing now, like in California, we're making it impossible to be an entrepreneur. It's hard, you To make the jump from angel to series A now is almost impossible because the VCs have all moved downstream to the big money place. The, the state government is now making it impossible to hire contractors and and freelancers, you know, they're, they're, so you like the 1099 model. You have no problem with Uber, Fiverr, these people employing masses of 1099 employers. It's making a lot of people really happy. Yeah. You know, I got, I got kids and, and ladies in my na- housewives in my neighborhood. that are doing Uber because it supplements their income. They don't want a full-time job. Yep. And, and what we talked about at the beginning is most of those full-time jobs are going to disappear. Yep. Very we're, good. We're all going to be freelancers. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Uh, I think uh, the exponential organization, I think Celine gave us a glimpse of what the future looks like. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Give me someone that is not mainstream. Oh, hell. Actually, I you know who I follow the most because he's so entertaining and I've known him for years. Elon. Because he just... This is an interesting example of a guy who's really brilliant at business, but his his sense of the world is a little bit off kilter. So whenever every time Uber makes, I mean, sorry, Tesla makes a great announcement, he then put does something dumb in his personal life the same week. So the stock never really gets going the way it should. That's because he wants he wants more short sellers to lose money because he threw out a rogue tweet when the business is really exciting and changing the world. Yeah, and he's a, and what's interesting in person, he's a very shy man. Uh, you wouldn't believe that from all the news about him. And he and I have a ten dollar bet. We've had it for fifteen years on when he's going to put a man on Mars. And I hope <laughs> I, I hope I lose the bet. I, I I think we would all love that. Uh, number three, what's your favorite online tool for for actually? What should I ask? Because you so you're a writer. I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I do, you know, I do Dropbox, you know, Okay. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a different question for this. Since you're a unique interview, um, what automated writing tool, right? Are you most fearful of for its ability to be manipulated by governments to create basically deep fakes, fake news? Oh God. Uh, I fear the new AI stuff being researched that's able to produce novels based on existing novels. I have a feeling we're slowly flying up our own ass. Can you name one? Can you name one of those companies? No, because they're not companies yet. They're being done at at the university level research. But the notion is, do we stop creating? We've already begun this world. That's now a, a, a pastiche of the past where we grab news and we, and sound and beats and everything else 
and we mix them together. But the amount of new stuff being created is very small now. Yep. And I worry we're going to reach a point where we just freaks and we just keep playing the same stuff over and over again. This is why, by the way, I believe that creatives will be paid more than developers a decade from now because you can automate so much development. The creativity, it's what's going to be hard to automate. Yeah, if you're writing code, you know, you're about to become a newspaper man. Yes, yes. But if you can write a really good play or movie script or novel. Original. You're going to be a very rich person. Number four, Mike, how many hours of sleep you get each night? I'm a freelance, so I go to bed at 2 a.m., wake up at 10. (laughs) I love that. And what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? Married kids. Okay, how many kids? Two. Two kids. All right, last question. Take us home here. How how old are you today? And then what do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? I turned 66 in a week and a half. Uh, my 20-year-old, I was thinking about this this morning. I knew you were going to ask. Three things. One of them is uh, character matters more than intelligence. Uh, the second one is have your kids young, which I didn't. And the third is... Um, What's young? Like in your 30s? I had my kids in my late 30s. I would have them in my 20s because then you get your grandkids. And you've got adult kids when you're in your 50s. And the final one is get a dog. I waited till I was, I have cats all my life. Wait till I was 55, get a dog. A dog is the one person in the world that will love you. When the company's doing bad, when you've had a bad quarter, when the stock is tanked, you know, when you've lost your key R&D guy, you can still go home and your dog welcomes you with, you know, with a big wagging tail and a smile. Guys, Mike Malone, many would say the business journalist, not just for the broad section of society, but really for Silicon Valley, covered it for many years. The Autonomous Revolution, his new book coming out February 18th, 2020, talks about a lot of things. Is blockchain the answer uh, moving forward for things that need to be privatized? Secondly, should corporate taxes come down? How do we tax individual people? Should people be unemployed, actually, if they don't lead to increased productivity in their job roles? And if so, what does the economic model look like if productivity gains continue to increase, but unemployment and and more people are unemployed is UBI the answer. Get it all in the book. Mike, you want to add on one more thing? Yeah. God bless entrepreneurs. We need to support them and nurture them and and keep doing what you're doing. Where can they find the book? Oh, anywhere. It's going to be everywhere. If you do it (laughs) right, it'll be everywhere. All right. Mike Malone, thanks for taking us to the top.